gospel culture. It's filled with lies. Um, particularly in light of the fact that we live in a day of mass media, radio, television, newspapers, books, magazines. And how many of you have realized, along with me, that um, television has pretty much been co-opted by the enemy? Pretty much has. Well, the enemy doesn't open his mouth without lying. And so we're sharing this series on exposing cultural lies because there are some lies as we, well, let me just get this up here and we'll, we'll just begin. Let's, I know you, you've already stood a lot, but let's get our exercise and stand one more time. And you read with me these three verses, Romans 1, 18, 19, and 20. And we're, we're pulling from Romans 1 for this whole series. So re- let's read this together. Are you ready? But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. Now read that last one again. Let it soak in. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight. Witness it to our hearts. Lord, we need to have our minds renewed. Deliver us from the cultural lie of evolution. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Let me just get right into this. How many of you were not here last week? Okay. Quite a few. I I would grab that CD if I were you. It's a great opener. It laid the foundation for this. And I I really am not going to have time tonight to repeat a lot of what we talked about last week, but I'm going to recap a little bit. Last time we talked about Satan's strategies. And we saw that he has attacked every generation since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how has he attacked those generations? Remember I said to you, Satan's main objective is not to make something go bump in the night or to give you a flat tire or to make you cuss or to give you a headache or to keep you out of church a couple of Sundays. No. His objective is to get your faith. His objective is to captivate your mind. Now, he does that with individuals, but he also does it with entire cultures, entire societies. How does he do it? He uses false philosophical ideas that carry that society away from God, away from trust in His Word, and away from salvation through Christ. I want you to remember something with me tonight. The enemy of our soul is not a little creature in a red suit with a tail and a pitchfork walking around giggling funny. He was an archangel. His intelligence is light years beyond yours and mine. He is one of the glorious archangels yet fallen. Though he fell, 
and became a disembodied spirit and lost his eternal abode. He did not lose the intelligence or the power that God originally gave him. It is now only used exclusively for evil. So Jesus said about him, he doesn't ever open his mouth, but it's a lie. Now this being is strategic. He's a chess player. Paul said that we're to put on the shield of faith that we might ward off all the fiery darts of the devil and the schemings of the wicked one. So I'm going to tell you tonight, he'll scan you. And I'm not lifting him up, but I do want to expose the enemy. Because our Lord has totally defeated him. But he will scan you, and I do believe he'll spend years to set up your fall. He's strategic. And he uses, he moves, he operates in the realm of ideas. Can I get an usher back there where there's nobody running back in and out anymore? Thanks. Uh, He no longer... Uh, or he does rather, he uses ideas. He uses false beliefs. He attacks the arena of the mind. Any battle you are ever in is between your two ears. Now I want you to understand that the devil targets entire cultures. Is this hard for us to understand when you look at uh, a communist country? Can you look at a communist country and realize that they have fallen prey to satanic ideas and they have been brought captive that way? I believe that America as a nation right now is under attack. And we're under attack by a series of false philosophical systems that are very dangerous and very deadly. One of them we've been attacked with is evolution. Now, these philosophies are warned against in Scripture. Don't let anybody capture you with empty philosophies, Paul said, and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Notice Paul used the word philosophy. He said, don't let your mind be captivated, captured by a philosophy that is built on something other than Christ. Okay? Are you with me? Now Paul, goodness, by the time he wrote that, we had, he had already, he knew all about Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, Greek philosophers, he knew about all of them. And he said, I'm telling you, don't let a philosophy that is not founded on Jesus Christ capture your mind. Okay? Now, we also saw that he has invariably used what we called seminal thinkers. And what's a seminal thinker? It's a person or persons who introduce philosophies into a culture that are diametrically opposed to God and His Word and that bring incredible destruction once that errant philosophy has run its course. Now this is a fact of history. I mentioned a few of of these seminal thinkers last week. One of them was Thomas Paine. You remember that? Thomas Paine? Who helped to birth what has been called the Age of Enlightenment. And in my opinion it really was not enlightenment at all. It was almost like entering into an age of darkness because here's what it did. Beginning in the late 1700s, via his popular book, The Age of Reason. And what did The Age of Reason say? It suggested that reason and deduction 
are the only paths to truth, not Scripture and not faith. Very important. When the Age of Enlightenment attacked America and England, the West, the message behind it was very seductive. You don't need God and you don't need His Word. As a matter of fact, you're kind of loopy if you get your truth that way. We need to arrive at truth by common sense, by reason, and by logic, not by faith and not by the Bible. And Thomas Paine argued that the Bible was not the revealed Word of God. And he was very eloquent, as most seminal thinkers that affect entire cultures are. Marx was eloquent, convincing. Thomas Paine, others who have affected cultures with false philosophies, were real talking dudes. Okay? So he said, the Bible's not the Word of God. You can't prove the Bible's the Word of God. And these things he wrote, and because his writing successfully captured the popular imagination, the Bible became distrusted, and man's focus was turned toward himself as the center of life, and anticipation of heaven was replaced by a focus of life here on earth. Man took God off the throne and put himself on the throne. And man quit looking to the world to come and said, this is all there is. This is what we should be focused on. And that is sort of in a nutshell what comprised the Age of Enlightenment. And it took over the West. It tremendously affected young America. And one thing I want you to understand, folks, Paine came out with this like in the late 1700s. And this happened right after people like George Whitfield and the Wesley Brothers had come to America, had preached the gospel all through England, and had come to America and birthed the Great Awakening. And under the Great Awakening, thousands and thousands of people in America alone got saved. All you had to do was ride into a town on horseback and say, George Whitfield will be preaching here at 2 in the afternoon. And when he arrived on horseback with no mass media, no radio, no television, 30,000 people would be waiting to hear this man preach the Word. He had a voice that carried to the end of a crowd of 30,000 people. Benjamin Franklin went and measured it because he did not believe that could be true. And he testified later, it's true. I stood at the back of a crowd in Philadelphia of 30,000 and Whitfield's voice reached me. And they said, do you believe what he said? And he said, no, but he does. So isn't it just like the devil after the Great Awakening where the gospel shook England and shook America, you've got Thomas Paine coming along and the Age of Enlightenment and their message sought to put out the fire of the Great Awakening. Now, when you scan history from the Enlightenment forward, and I want to be clear, it's not that there weren't philosophical attacks before then, there were. But if, if you begin at the Enlightenment, the late 1700s and move forward, you can see several knockout punches delivered by philosophies that attempted to destroy faith in God, faith in His Word, and faith in His Son. One fed the other, and then that one fed the next. It's almost like they were dominoes falling, complementing 
and fueling and carrying on where the other one left off. The Enlightenment, with its emphasis on reason and logic, to the exclusion of faith in God, dovetailed perfectly with the next seminal thinker to come along, Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution. Charles Darwin was a British scientist. He lived in the 1800s. You probably know all this because you got it in school. You didn't hear about God, but you heard about him. But he, was, uh, he lived in the 1800s. He was a British scientist, published his famous book, The Origin of Species, in 1859, and our culture was changed forever. Now, I want you to follow real carefully. I want you to catch this tonight. Interestingly, I don't watch The View You'd have to pay me to watch The View. I don't mean to offend anybody. It'd have to be a lot of money, too. But somebody told me that this morning, well, you, Kathy was getting her pedicure. And they had the TV on, and here was The View. Barbara Walters starts talking about evolution. And two of the girls that were there talking with her about this said, well, I believe in creationism. Barbara Walters opines, well, have you read Darwin? As if somebody's going, oh, yeah, I read Darwin last week in my spare time. But here's what I would have said to her. Have you read refutations of Darwin? Have you read, Barbara, and and God bless her, God help her, God help us. (laughs) I'm not meaning to be mean. Y'all smile at me. If I have any view lovers in here, come down. I'm going to lay hands on you after <laughs> church is over. <laughs> I'll lay hands on you. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, uh, my, my point is this. They're here this morning, what this man wrote in 1859 is swirling around in our country because it was seminal. It made its way into the popular culture, into the popular mindset. We've all heard about evolution, and we've all been infected by it one way or the other. Now, um, here's evolution's premise. Let's look at it very carefully. Everybody say, I'm ready. All right. Here's what Darwin said. All forms of life have developed through the slow working process of what Darwin called natural selection. Now, what's natural selection? Let's go back. Natural selection is the process by which organisms best suited to survival in their environment achieve greater reproductive success, thereby passing on their superior genetic characteristics to future generations. Stay with me. We're going to look at that over and over again. In other words, the species that successfully adapts to its environment will survive and reproduce itself, while those that don't do so will die off and ultimately disappear. This is called what, everybody? The survival of the fittest. Look at your neighbor and say, you look pretty fit to me. Now, we, we, we know this. We all know this. We've, we've been in school. We've heard this. But I want you to get it really clearly in your mind because this, this grabbed the popular mind and, man, did it wreak havoc. 
according to Darwin, all of life. Think about this. Every one of the countless species of insects, mammals, marine life, birds, everything that lives are the outcome of millions of years of evolution. The species that failed to successfully adapt died out while millions of others are now the happy survivors of evolution and natural selection. Now, I want you to keep this in your head. Put on your logic cap with me tonight. Because we're going to see why this matters as believers and as Christians. But let me first go over with you what evolution is not. I want to clarify what the man was actually really saying. Evolution is not selective breeding, as in the production of thoroughbred horses, pedigreed dogs, etc. Okay? That is not what evolution is. It is not selective breeding. Evolution is not the ability of bacteria to develop antibiotic resistance, as we've seen with the latest strain of deadly TB or the stronger strains of STDs like gonorrhea that used to get knocked out with one shot of penicillin, but now there are gonorrhea strains that do not respond at all. Is that evolution of that bacteria? No, because in the end, it's still only a bacteria. Are you ready? Evolution is not the phenomenon of an existing species changing over the course of many years. For instance, the way Frenchmen became shorter during the 18th century. They really did. Is that evolution? No. Or Asians become, uh, becoming taller after immigrating to North America. That did happen. Is that evolution? No. Then what is it? Darwinism claims that the process of evolution provides us with, say it with me everybody, a brand new species. Not a species that underwent some change, but it's still that species, but a brand new species. You got to get that. For instance, this week, they found a purple fluorescent frog. This is true. I saw a picture of it. They found a purple fluorescent frog and he was one of 24 new types, new types of species found in South America. But it's still what? A frog. Not a brand new species. Okay? I mean, I want one. I want one. Purple fluorescent. That's too cool. The, the, the purple is circles. I mean, the guy, the, this frog looks so cool. But he's in South America. But get this now, it's not a brand new species, it's still a frog. Darwin said species, brand new ones, are what the evolutionary process via natural selection gives us. Darwin's theory of evolution teaches that life on earth began billions and billions of years ago. I almost want to start this with once upon a time. With single-celled life forms which evolved into multi-celled life forms, which over countless eons evolved into higher life forms, 
including you. All as the result of the chance process of random mutation followed by natural selection. Catch this, without guidance or assistance from any intelligent entity. It just happened. Why does it matter to you and me sitting here in church tonight? Well, for one, our culture got attacked with this. Two, you're supposed to be carting around the truth. And three, just this morning, it coming up on The View showed me that it's alive and well and it needs to be answered. This philosophy of evolution directly attacks Scripture's claim that God created the universe by claiming that it was evolution, not God, who was responsible for creation. That's why it matters. For a culture already dubious about the trustworthiness of Scripture due to the message of the Enlightenment, this was yet another blow to the Western world in the late 1800s and middle 1800s. The theory of evolution is one of the most damaging philosophies to ever come down the pike. It has, one, taught our children that they are the result of an indifferent, random process rather than a creation of God. Two, evolution has taken away our sense of divine purpose and replaced it with a you're on your own, good luck proposition. We're alone in the universe. According to Darwin, there's nothing out there. I believe this with all my heart that evolution has cheapened life. Follow me, everybody. If I'm just another animal rather than a creation of God, where David said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, I have no eternal meaning or value, and neither does anyone else. We're just animals evolved to this point. Evolution has taken away the belief that there are eternal rewards and consequences for how I live my life. So it's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We answer to no one. No one is out there to make us accountable. We're just here because of a random chance process that spit us onto the earth by mistake. Now let me look at some more facts about evolution. Everybody being blessed tonight? Even if evolution were true, now I want you to think with me a minute. Even if evolution were true, it would not disprove God. Okay? God could easily have granted to species the ability to change and adapt to a changing environment. He could have given species. He didn't, because we're going to show that in just a minute, but he could have. In other words, if I found out tomorrow that evolution was absolutely true, it doesn't affect my belief in God at all. I just then believe that God created species with the ability to do this. Okay? Well, y'all, the wheels are turning tonight. God has done greater things than that. God spoke and brought something out of nothing. And God changed you and me. How's that for a miracle? But now watch this. While I as a believer don't need evolution to be false, atheists desperately need evolution to be true. Why would that be? Because if evolution were proven to be false, every atheist on the planet would be faced with the truth of Paul's words in Romans 1. 
through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, even his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So I, if, if evolution is true tomorrow, I'm okay. I'm still born again. I'm still going to heaven. But if I'm an atheist and I found out tomorrow that evolution is a farce, I come face to face with God. As long as the atheist can hide behind evolution, he can pull off a scientifically sanctioned denial of God. William Provine, an evolutionary biologist at Cornell University, calls Darwinism the greatest engine of atheism devised by man. Another scientist, zoologist Richard Dawkins, said, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. Amen. If I'm an intellectual, if I'm a thinking person, and I don't want to answer to God for the way I live, I hide in evolution. You've got to know this tonight, that evolution has never been substantiated scientifically. Never. Not in a laboratory or in the fossil record. And this after 150 years of really hard searching. Evolution has been guarded and protected with vigor by the scientific and philosophical communities because it disproves God and offers cover for atheism. I'm convinced of this. There has got to be a reason. Scientists and thinkers, philosophers, will not come clean with all of the evidence that has come forward showing that evolution is a fairy tale. Why keep it hidden protected, sanctioned, and safe. Because, well, number one, who wants to admit 150 years of being wrong if you're a scientist? But if you're an atheist, I don't want to give up this cover. This is a beautiful cover. I'm an evolutionist. Praise God, or not praise God. <laughs> praise that amoeba way back then. I'm an evolutionist. So I don't have to deal with God. Are you with me, church? Now, to arrive at a successful higher organism, watch this, to arrive at a successful higher organism from a single-celled organism, it would take not one but thousands of mutations, each one of them improving on what already existed and finally arriving at an all-new structure that is better than what existed before. That's crazy. Each one of the hundreds of mutations needed to create a functional leg or wing or eye would itself have to make the mutant animal more fit in order for it to survive at that stage. Amen. All right. Bill Gates once stated that our DNA alone, which carries all of our genetic reproductive information, is like a computer program but far, far more advanced than any software we've ever created. Just the DNA in you. That which, when you reproduced, tells the reproduction what it's going to look like, how it's going to talk, what color of hair, so on and so forth. The DNA. Yet the proponents of evolution who bring lawsuits against schools that won't teach it 
or that wish to introduce the option of creationism into their curriculum expect us to believe that the vast array of complex species of life surrounding us is the result of random accidents starting in a puddle of prehistoric goo. This is crazy. It's just not true, everybody. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day they utter their speech. Night after night they show their knowledge. There is no voice nor language where their voice is not heard. God created the heavens and the earth. God created you and me. We did not come uh, out of some ancient goo, out of some ancient primeval soup. We came out of the very mind of God. We have been created with a purpose, with a destiny, with a plan. God has his hand on you. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. He wired you to perform his purpose on this earth. You can do what nobody else can do. If he made snowflakes all different, if he could put that much time into just a snowflake where no two are the same, what do you think he did when he said, let us make man in our own image. There is nobody like you. Nobody can do it like you. Nobody's got your call. Nobody has your touch. You are totally unique and you are a creation of God, not evolution. The fossil record does not support evolution. Rather than showing gradual change with one species slowly giving way to another, as Darwin suggested, the fossil record shows vast numbers of new species suddenly appearing out of nowhere. Did you know that? When they began looking at the fossil record like Darwin encouraged them to do, and we got more sophisticated in our ability to read those records, here's what they came up with. Wow, out of nowhere and suddenly the species appeared and they remained largely unchanged for millions of years and then they suddenly disappeared as if there were a huge flood. (laughs) But take that leap of faith and believe that way back there a single-celled organism crawled out of some ancient sea and began to develop and grew legs and arms and eyes and lungs, intestines, hair. Come on. That's crazy. And so now they find from the fossil record that, wow, suddenly the species appeared and remained for a long time, and then suddenly they were gone. And the best we can tell, it was from a flood. If mutations are utterly random... As Darwin claimed, there ought to be an infinite variety of transitional animals with small mutations that eventually led to a magnificent new attribute like a wing or a lung. In other words, if I'm being mutated from, oh, I don't know, a frog, and I'm mutating into a human being, For every functioning, workable limb that survives natural selection, you're going to have a million that didn't work. Are you there? Come on. Don't tell me it happened on one try. 
It did not. So, watch what Darwin claimed. He said there should be interminable varieties connecting together all the extinct and existing forms of life by the finest graduated steps. That's what he said. So when we look at the fossil record, which we can read real well now with carbon dating and so on and so forth, when you look at it, we're looking for all these connecting, extinct, fine, finely graduated forms. We're looking for all of, the, all of the attempts that did not make it in the fossil record. For instance, dinosaurs appeared, lived for 150 million years, and then disappeared, only to be quickly replaced with mammals. Neither the creation nor the extinction of dinosaurs was accomplished by a gradual process of any sort. It didn't happen. So here's my question. Where are the clunkers? Like the dog with webbed feet? <laughs> or the fish with fur? Where are all of the oddball mishaps and freaks? of this mystical force called evolution, the rejects that served as the transitional models on their way to the perfect design, where are they? And let me ask you this, where are they still out there alive? Where are they now? Hello everybody, where are they? No, the reason we can't find them and the reason they're not in the fossil record is because God said let there be. And the birds flew through the sky and the fishes swam in the sea, fully developed, fully there, fully capable of dealing with their environment. There was no evolutionary process. Logic alone demands that for every successful limb, wing, eye, brain, there would have had to have been millions of failures. Darwinism not only requires this, but also that the experimental limb that didn't quite work out still contributed in a positive way to the final model. And it's just not there. Just not there. Are you all with me tonight? Here's the fact. We don't have fossils for the vast numbers of hapless creatures that ought to have died out in a survival of the fittest process. It's, they're not there in the fossil record. So as a scientist, when you look at this, why don't you say, why don't you tell our children that are having to listen to this hogwash in school, why can't you just say to them, kids, this is a theory, but let me show you all the things wrong with it. They won't do it. Why? Well, because Paul said, if you, if you admit that God created the world, then you've got to face God. And they don't want to admit that. That's why. Now, another problem with evolution is that hoaxes have surrounded the attempts to prove it. Hoaxes have surrounded the attempts to prove it. Because of time, I don't have time for one really good one. In 1912, after decades of embarrassment over the fossil record's inability to come to the aid of Darwin, an amateur paleontologist, Charles Dawson, claimed to have discovered a skull with a human-like cranium and an ape-like jaw. The supposed find was made in a piltdown quarry in Sussex, England. It was a creature not quite ape, not quite man, <gasps> Neanderthal. The missing link. Hallelujah. 
This gave evolutionists a possible link between the apes and man on their imaginary tree of life. Remember that picture in your textbook in school? The tree of life and how we evolved from nothing into man and all the animals. It's just ridiculous. All right, now, the New York Times, ever the same, headline on what came to be called the Piltdown Man read, Darwin theory is proved true. Dawson, the finder, was showered with praise, fame, and awards. He was made a fellow of the Geological Society. For more than 40 years, the Piltdown Man was taught as scientific fact in our schools. If you had lived back then as a child, you'd have learned about that Piltdown Man. Here's the proof of evolution. Here it is. For 40 years, that's a generation, was raised believing in the Piltdown Man. Then in 1953, it was exposed as a total fraud by radiocarbon dating. The skull, it turned out, was from a thousand-year-old human fossil, and the jaw was from a modern orangutan. The jaw had been stained with potassium bichromate, and the teeth filed down to make them look more human. And Mr. Dawson was busted. But did they come out and say, we have no proof of evolution? Even this Piltdown man was phony and fake. No, they have not done it. Why? Because Satan attacks a culture with lies, everybody. And his intent is to carry people away from God, away from his word, away from trusting his word, and away from salvation. So here we've had since 1800s our children, us, and our children now being taught evolution like it's fact. And there's no scientific proof of it at all. You know what? If evolution were held up to the same honest scientific scrutiny as, say, the study of gravity, it wouldn't make it into a single solitary scientific textbook or a classroom as a viable theory. It wouldn't. Evolution is an unproven myth propagated by a scientific community that is at best intellectually dishonest on this subject. Are y'all there? I hope I'm I'm not destroying your sacred cow. (laughs) A leading scientist of our time has this to say. Evolution is baseless and quite incredible. He wrote in the unleashing of evolutionary thought. Another scientist said, far from ignoring or ridiculing the groundswell of opposition to Darwinism that is growing, for example, in the United States, we should welcome it as an opportunity to re-examine our sacred cow more closely. And how about this one? Unfortunately, in the field of evolution, most explanations are not good. As a matter of fact, they hardly qualify as explanations at all. They are worthy suggestions, hunches, pipe dreams, hardly worthy of being called even hypotheses, which is underneath a theory. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to get some mail on this one from the radio. I'm going to tell you right now. Darwinian evolution is a fairy tale, in my opinion, a cultural lie that is told to our children with no scientific basis of support. It is the far-fetched hypothesis of Charles Darwin, a seminal thinker whose unproven theories struck pay dirt in the Western mind. 
but it doesn't bear scrutiny today. Can we read Paul's words again? But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That word suppress means to push down to contain something, like keeping a jack-in-the-box in the box. Don't want it out. They suppress the truth. Let's continue. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Can we stand together? Now, uh, next week, I'm going to be talking about the two dark exchanges. The two dark exchanges. And we're going to look at, and, and I've shared this with you before, but I'm going to tell you again that I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with these things because our culture has said, put up your dukes. We've been attacked with these things, and the church has got to answer. So next week, we're going to be talking about homosexuality and lesbianism. We're going to look at what the Scripture says about it. I'm not going to be pointing a finger. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to uh, condemn, and I want you to know that. But we are being hit from all sides by the message that homosexuality and lesbianism are just normal and uh, not a sin. And we're going to see next week that that is simply not true. And if I get rocks thrown at me, they'll be pretty rocks. But we're going to deal with it. Don't we need to hear the truth? Yeah. I, at least, uh, you know, we do. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I was thinking if, if I were out there just going to church, struggling with one of those two things, I would want to be listening to somebody who was helping me fight, not telling me to go ahead and sink into the abyss. So the two dark exchanges, Romans 1 talks about two exchanges, and we're going to deal with them and what they did and what they produce and how the cycle of depravity goes downward. We're going to see that next week. Father, we just thank you tonight that even in the midst of a culture that has been lied to on so many levels, your truth still prevails, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. We thank you, Lord, that evolution is certainly not true, theologically, intellectually, or in any other way. You made the world, and we trust you for that. Father, we pray, help us to answer people whose faith in God has been robbed away by believing in the live evolution. And I thank you for helping us in it, Lord. Now bless us this week, and we look forward to a great Sunday, this Sunday, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. All right. We, uh, Beverly, come up here real quick, would you? Come up here, Beverly. Do you mind?